Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I never remember which way I go for the future in the past. So I just, it's all, it's just out there. It's all around us. Bonnie D in the house. Happy to be here. We have a very interesting topic and I made my guest promise. We're going to keep it out of techie speak nerdville and we're going to make it about all of you around the world, even if you are or are not a techie. So I'm just going to start with an opening sentence here. We are living on the edge. Now, you probably know there's so much going on in the world. Come on, look at the news. We're not getting political. Look at the health news. Look at baby formula and chips for cars. And look at what everybody's on the edge. There's something going on everywhere. But we're not talking about that today. We're talking about an edge that is in your life. You may not even realize it. And it's called edge computing. And that's our topic today. So we're going to talk about what does it mean to you? It's in sensors and everywhere. Let me give you a couple of opening buzzes like I always do, and then we'll get started. Simply put, well, you're saying, what in the heck is it, Bonnie? It means putting processing power, software, services, and data as close as possible to end users, that's you and me and everybody here, where the speed of light, think about that. What's the speed of light? We know we can't even think about it so fast. It's too slow for data packets that are traveling from server to server to server to server across thousands of miles of fiber. It's also less exposed to cyber attacks and less prone to breaches. That's a good thing. So what is this thing called edge computing? How is it part of our lives? As I said, it's being used to create smarter buildings, smarter cities, smarter workspaces, retail experiences, factory floors, and more. There are devices you're using that we're all using right here now on the show. Intelligent edge devices include your smartphone. Do you have a bot in the other room? You got to be quiet because if you say her name, she's going to say something and give you the weather and say good morning. Well, I do. It's Alexa. She's part of smart. Smart watches in hospital patient monitoring, medical instruments, predictive maintenance for factory equipment. When is that piece of equipment going to go down? We can't have that. Let's have edge computing tell us and predict in advance. City traffic management, cloud gaming, what? Wall Street trading tools, what? Digital wind farms, yes, and autonomous vehicles. Those are some use cases. But I have a use case now. I want all my panelists to, to smile on this one because it may affect your food, what you're eating for dinner. Edge computing is being used on farms. Moisture sensors embedded in the soil tell the farmers where should they water and when should they water. Don, that's important, right? We want the crops to be watered. There we go. Drones flying over fields can spot pest infestations from hundreds of feet up. Right, Jeff? There you go. That's important. We don't want those pests. IoT, we're talking about sensors here. Internet of Things sensors, devices are on the, oh, the tails of pregnant cows. Oh, dear. Elsie, watch out. They identify when the cows are about to give birth. I think that's probably important. We're not talking about a hospital suite, but we're talking about some special care. Smart harvesters are using computer vision and AI, that's artificial intelligence, to separate the wheat from the chaff. We all hear about that as they plow. It's a real thing. Precision agriculture in very, very rural areas is using 5G connections. You all know what that is in edge computing devices. So your next meal may be brought to you by edge computing technology. When I raise your, when I say your voice, I want you to raise your hand and wave for our visual audience on LinkedIn and Facebook. Eric Simone at Clearblade. 
Eric, welcome back. So happy to see you. Don Deloach at Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. I said it right, Don. Happy to see you again. We have Jeff Kimmel at Ellipsa. You're new. Jeff, welcome. Happy to have you on the panel. And Jason Shepard at Zadita. I said it right, didn't I, Jason? I'm working hard on that one. And the topic is the future of sensors on the edge. What's in it for you? What's in it for all of us? Let's get going. First up, I'd like to welcome Eric Samoan. You're back. Eric, I'm guessing... I used my uh, guest calculator this morning before the show, and I calculate that there are probably 9.72 people around the world who don't remember you. You've been on so often, and that's really a, a tisk to shame moment. So why don't you go ahead and reintroduce yourself to those people, and then we'll go around the table. Sure. Jeff, you're going to have to be like, nobody knows you on the show, but everybody else, I've got a calculator for Don and Jason as well. Eric, welcome. Go ahead. Hey, good to be back, Bonnie. Is that an edge calculator, by the way? It's just a regular calculator. <laughs> it's, I'm always on edge, so it's an edge got calculator. It, Let's it. just leave that. All right. Well, good. Hey, I'm a CEO and co-founder at ClearBlade. <laughs> We're an edge computing software company uh, that enables enterprises to rapidly run secure IoT and AI applications like Intelligent Assets, which is ours, um, You know, built as a secure, no-code, uh, delivered to the, the end user, as opposed to the technologists, let's put the power into the hands of people uh, that don't have a degree in computer science, so the non-nerds. Um, and we are founded in 2007 and headquartered in Austin, Texas, with offices in Chicago, Denver, and Newport Beach. Uh, and what's your passion for this topic? What's, what's you know, exciting about it, Eric? Well, I'm a nerd, so I love edge computing, right? So um, the passion was that uh, you know a decade ago when we were looking at this IoT problem, we decided to to solve for the edge. And a decade ago, when we were talking about edge computing, people looked at us like, what the heck are you talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So my passion is the fact that edge is being talked about everywhere today. It's valuable, right? It's relevant. And, you know, it, it was someone very smart when I was a kid working at a big blue company called IBM that said, hey, processing power will always shift between centralized and distributed so we did this with mainframes to PCs, if folks remember uh, that era in the early 90s. We went to the cloud and we sucked it all back up to centralized and the prediction of it coming back to the edge or back to distributed uh, is, has come to fruition and now we're gonna use these exciting technologies to improve the way that we do things. So that's why I'm passionate about it. Thank you and I like the way you said exciting technologies because it's here. I have a friend who told me she hates technology. You know how she told me, Eric? How? She, she texted me. <laughs> okay and then she sent me pictures on text of her new grandson yeah okay so we I hate just, technology that's hard to use we love technologies that that's easy exactly right if i told her that she was part of the world of edge technology and that there were sensors involved in in, in her smartphone and her smart home she would say no i don't know what you're talking about i don't want anything to do with tech so there it is thank you very much eric welcome, welcome. back don deloach i'm going to lower the number because my edge computer my little handheld techie thing said that you probably you've been on so often with me over the past couple of years that there might be 6.23 people who don't remember you Don, reintroduce yourself, please, and welcome back. Sure. Yeah, nice to be back. Uh, I'm Don Deloach. I'm the uh, founder and managing partner for Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. Uh, we basically are a series of venture studios that are focused on helping startups go from the minimum viable product still launch phase through to scalable, repeatable commercialization. We are explicitly focused on cyber physical transformation. So 
think of IoT and really the, the progression to a hyperconnected world. And um, uh, we have our first studio that should be operational uh, in the next month or so in DC called Smart City Works Venture Studio. And we're very excited about that. Uh, my passion around IoT really began back in probably uh, late 2010, early 2011. I've been heavily involved in the, uh, in the market since then with a number of different initiatives. Uh, I consider some of my, my best friends to be people in the IoT fraternity, uh, uh, you know, Eric and Jason amongst them. And, uh, you know, I, I laugh that, that I tell my wife my funnest time out is when I'm hanging out with IoT people talking IoT at dinner. So <laughs> that makes me fairly one-dimensional. And, uh, but at any rate, I'm okay with that. And then my, I'm combining that with my passion for entrepreneurship. I've been running small venture-backed companies for over 20 years. And so Rocket Wagon is really focused on the combination of those two things. Thank you, Don. And rocket wagon, what does that term mean? What is a rocket wagon? Is it something that's going off into space? Is it an X thing? What is it? Yeah, I, I mean, in all honesty, it's the, the taken from the name of the sister company and the person who uh, approached me, Phil Perkins, was on the, uh, on the board of the Midwest IoT Council that I was chairing. And um, he approached me about the whole idea of Venture Studios. So from that relationship, we created Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. So I don't have a a more thoughtful, intelligent answer than that, but that's the honest way we got to that. So, but Don, that's a beautifully human, real deal answer. That's <laughs> a great answer because people struggle. I worked for a, a commercial, a correspondent bank years ago, and they hired a company. We're talking back in the in the late '80s. Hired a company for tens of thousands of dollars to come up with a new name. Okay, it was a. I won't give the name. It's defunct by now. years later. Sat down by the New York Banking Department. Not my fault. But they came up with a name that made no sense, that nobody understood, that nobody could spell, that sounded like ten other things, and everybody had to say, "What does it mean?" So you have a name that's catchy, and it's because of your relationship with a person in business. I think that's the way naming should go. I really do. So well, thanks. And Don, congratulations on the first studio opening. We're very oh, excited. Thank you. I know you really work. 24-7 isn't enough for you. I know that. You've told me that over the years. Okay, let's go to our newcomer on the panel, Jeff Kimmel. So happy to welcome you. Tell us who you are, what you do. What's your passion for the topic? Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I guess I got to go pretty deep because the six degrees of separation don't apply for me as the newcomer. But um, So I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of Ellipsa. Um, so at Ellipsa, we have a platform for building AI for industrial IoT. So Obviously, we're talking about sensors. So the, the number of devices that are continued to be connected and smart um, at Ellipso, we're working to effectively use machine learning to turn smart into intelligent. And specifically on the industrial side, it's a lot around solving the problem of unplanned downtime and operational inefficiencies. Uh, the passion for me and IoT really is rooted around AI. Um, AI is everywhere in terms of um, not only the usage, but obviously everyone's talking about it. Yet at the same time, I don't think anyone really knows what it means. And if you asked everyone here what it means, it's going to be something different. Um, and so similar to Eric's messaging, it's just because it's uh, advanced and high tech cutting edge does not mean it needs to be difficult. And so our whole mission at Ellipsa is building um, tools for non-data scientists, but say operational users, um, et cetera, to build uh, AI to make it effective for them in a simple, fast, and, and flexible manner so that 
we can expand the capabilities of all of these devices that we're going to talk about today that, you know, that we're, that we're getting data from. Thank you. What's your passion for our topic today, edge computing everywhere on the edge, Jeff? So with, with edge and computing everywhere is effectively um, the ability to take what we're doing with AI, which many people think is only capable in the cloud and really move that to the edge. And the passion around it is being able to do that will expand in an exponential way what we're capable of doing with the IoT data and artificial intelligence. Thank you. I'm seeing everybody nod. So I went to a full gallery shot. So everybody was here, everybody <laughs> nodding. Yeah, yeah, we understand what he's talking about. Welcome, Jeff. Appreciate it. And Ellipsa, is there a special meaning to that word? Is it a composite word? What does it mean? So the original idea with our technology is to connect the dots of information. So the first thought of the company name was Ellipsis, as in the three dots. Sure. That name was taken. So after a lot of Google searching, I believe I found what is the Polish definition or Polish translation of ellipsis as ellipsa. So the, it's the, the creativity that has to kick in when, uh, when legal names are taken in the, uh, around the world. So. There you go. Very clever. Very nice. And it's easy to pronounce. So thank you very much. I'm, Eric, we'll come back to you on Clearblade in a minute because I didn't ask you where that comes from. Jason Shepard, how are you? Zadita. I still have trouble pronouncing that because I want to say Zadita. I know. I think you Data. I know. Jason, welcome back. There's probably about, I'm putting you between Eric and Don. There's probably about 8.3 people who don't remember you. Shame, shame, shame. Jason, talk to us. Your passion and what's going on with you at Zadita. You got to wonder about the point three, like. Uh, I know. I have been. Um, well, so first off, so last time I was on, you had asked what Zadita means, and I, I actually, I, I drew a blank, and so I, I it actually means innovative, um, you know, in, in Arabic. My our founder is uh, uh, Moroccan and Dutch, and so that's where it came from. But of course, it puts us at the end of the alphabetical order all the time. So, uh, but it's all good. Um, so basically, you can think of Zadita, we're, we're VMware Lite, extend the principles of the data center as far out into the field until you just have to go embedded, um, kind of give that public cloud experience easy button, you know, out in the field, how do you manage applications uh, running at the edge, you know, how do you deploy um, the hardware and stuff. So it's, it's a very foundational technology. I love it because I get to work on all these different use cases, you know, out there, different verticals, and you enjoy working in, in all kinds of uh, different fields. My passion for this topic, it, relates to my passion for technology in general. Um, I mean, the guys kind of touched on it already, but I think good technology disappears, you know, uh, is transparent. Um, obviously we're talking about edge and IOT and AI, but, but really people care about outcomes. They care about, you know, just how does it impact themselves? It's all about balancing, you know, privacy with value and, and you know, it's kind of striking that balance. Um, I really like to talk about the people part, you know, so I lead our ecosystem efforts at, at um, Zadita, you know, both partnerships and do a lot of stuff in industry consortia, um, serve as our field CTO. And I, I often talk about the people part because it's the hardest part about technologies, you know, balancing the needs of people and concerns and things like that. So I'm passionate about, you know, how all that starts to come together. And of course the, the tech is, you know, an enabler, but, but it's really, how does it come together in the real world? Thank you very much. That was very, it was actually very sweet what you said, Jason. <laughs> kind of brought the temperature down a little bit. It was like we're talking about the, well, I said, we all, we're on the edge for various things, but we're living on the edge because of the technology. I want to go back, Eric, briefly to you. Clear blade, two words put together. Clear is in bold. Blade is a little bit paler. 
where did it come from? As long as we're so, doing company naming today. Yeah, well, I'll go back to 2003 when I grabbed it. Same thing, get a URL you can get like uh, Jeff did. But I wanted a, a term that said cut through the BS. I'll use the nice term BS because as an engineer, as a computer scientist, I get constantly annoyed at what is what is said versus what is reality. So I wanted it to convey that we're going to build a company that actually delivers on what it promises. So let's cut through the marketing noise. Let's cut through the BS and deliver real solutions to real people without much fanfare. And blade, the choice of blade is an interesting word. What is it? Blade cutting edge cut, or cut, cut through it, cut through it, get to the solution, be clear with your customers and deliver value. I like that. I like that a lot. I have one question for Jeff Kimmel before we go to our quotes. Jeff, you said something that, that caught my attention. You said we want to move from smart to intelligent. Yeah. Now, we've been talking about smart homes and smart devices and smart watches and smart this. And now I know in, in a lot of my business shows, we talk about the intelligent enterprise. We talk about intelligent devices. So what is the what is the clear distinction between when you know it's smart versus when you know it's intelligent? Who, who decides that? Or how do we know? Yeah, well, I, I decide that, Bonnie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad yeah, to hear you, that. You know, for, for years, we've been hearing smart this, smart that, right? And I'm like, I hear, I'm like, what makes it so smart? I mean, all we're, you know, so for example, my Nest thermostat, right? It's smart because it's able to, uh, you know, gather information and present it in a nice little chart so I can see the temperature and et cetera. But what makes it intelligent is being able to make decisions off of that data. So for example, when it, when it self adjusts and it, it knows I'm not there, so it'll predict say what the temperature will be when I will be there next, et cetera, things like that. So my whole kind of idea of around intelligence is um, making these insights actionable, being able to, to do something with them. Thank you very much. Anybody else have a comment on smart versus intelligent? Don, J Jason wants I mean, to talk. I, I, hear I, I, I see it as, I guess, you know, very similar, you know, kind of semantics personally, but I also think that, um, you know, AI is a, a bit of a misnomer because so much of AI is really a fancy rules engine. You know, if this, then that it's basically understand patterns and, and go uh, execute on those patterns based on you know, what's the current context. I believe true AI, which we're a long way away from, you know, if ever has morality and ethics and, and he really is able to decipher between, you know, complex things. I just saw yesterday, there was a picture of a dog that was on a um, picnic table, leaning over with his head on another picnic table, like two side by side, and it zooms out and it's got like boxes, you know, AI would look at it as well, it's the dog standing, sitting, or laying down, because they all look the same, depending on where you look in the picture. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but there's even there's even some of those cognitive things that we're still struggling with around the context. I mean, it's amazing how the human brain works and can kind of decipher some of these things. If you look at the bigger scheme of things, and, and I think we're even a ways away from some of that, but no doubt there's huge value here, but I, I think that we're also, we gotta be careful of all the buzz. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Anybody else comment, Don or Eric? No pressure. The, Any no, the, be careful of all the buzz, 100%. Yeah, I agree, there's a lot of buzz. I will say this about Ellipsa, though. We work with Ellipsa, and their stuff does some really cool stuff. So cut through the noise, get to the real. And I also agree there's a difference between rules engine, but making stuff intelligent, you're allowed to automate that with the data and, and do some pretty interesting things. There's a lot of fake noise when it comes to AI out there, so don't believe the pretty pictures. There you believe go. in true execution. 
There you go. And I was I've been hesitating, but I was going to say AI to me is Bonnie with two shots of Bailey's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, thinking in another plane, what can I tell you? One shot is funny. Two shots is, yeah. boy, am I smart. Let's go to the quotes before I get in trouble here. <laughs> Eric, I'm sorry, Je- Jeff is the newcomer. You can tell I have no sense of humor, so I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> Eric Simone, I'm looking at the quote. This is a cool quote. Oh, boy. He's, oh, boy. Eric is quoting Jeff. Spicoli perpetually st- to speaking of petrol perpetually stoned surfer played by none other than Sean Penn the movie is Fast Times at Ridgemont High 1982 American coming of age comedy drama I love comedy drama you know is it a dramedy is it a comedy drama what what is it these these combined genres Eric yeah. are, are very very creative I'm not going to go into all about the movie but the quote is people <laughs> Eric, how could you do this to me? People on lewds should not drive. <laughs> I was just talking about Bailey's. No, I don't get in the car after that. Go ahead, Eric. What does this have to do with our topic? Please rescue me here. Who the heck knows? No, actually, um, people on lewds should not drive. It's just a fact, right? Let's let's just cut to the chase. I think in general, it means um, there's a lot of people out there building technology that shouldn't be doing it. Just pure and simple. We are building at such a low level because we've enabled developers to go build whatever they want, which is great. It, it empower, it's empowering, we can do all this great stuff. But when it comes to stuff like edge computing and IoT, um, I think the industry's stuck in kind of this perpetual pattern of, of failure. Um, we see it over and over and over again. I can count uh, several hundred IoT platforms that are basically built in the same way with just different bricks put together in a slightly different way. and People on Lude should not build IoT platforms. I mean, it's just too much building of the same mess. And we're failing at scale. We're failing at security. We're failing at cost-effective um, um, solutions. We're scaling at delivering that experience to the end user that doesn't require a battalion of engineers to go implement the solution. So the money's being made by, by system integrators and developers and I'm not saying that they're not building great things, but there's got to be a better way to deliver software and deliver value to the end user and the business that delivers ROI in a matter of days or weeks, not months and years. So um, I'm not saying these people are on loads, but they might as well be because the outcomes are the same. Thank you very much. That was very colorful. Don Deloach has picked an interesting <laughs> quote, different approach to this. He's quoting Dr. Sean McGuire, the late, very great Robin Williams. The movie, of course, Good Will Hunting, 1997 American psychological drama film. I think any drama is going to have a psychological component to it, Don. I don't know how they come up with these genres. And here is the quote. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. Don, is this a, a tag along to what Eric just explained about the loots? Go ahead, Don. Uh, in, in some ways, um, the, the 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 for me the the relevance of the quote is all about experience. Um, you know, when it comes to less on IoT and well, in some ways, less on IoT and more about entrepreneurism, where there's so many many people that are doing classes and writing books about you know this is what you need to do as an entrepreneur. And that's okay. But if you go back to the scene in Goodwill Hunting, Robin Williams was saying, you know, if I asked you about the, the Sistine Chapel, you could, you know, quote me on the, you know, everything to do with the paintings and, and everything around it. But you couldn't tell me how it smells. And the whole point was that 
there's only it's not that it's not that didactic learning is bad in any way, shape, or form. It's just not the end all be all. And when it comes to uh, startups and entrepreneurship, the value of experiential learning is really key. Because if you look at you know, most startups fail in the execution phase and they hire the wrong people. They have, they don't manage their cash well. They don't get their product market fit right. They don't organize to get their product market fit right. And all of that is a function of understanding from in the trenches, you know, how does it really work and what do you need to do to keep the wagon from going in the ditch? So I like the quote. Yeah. Thank you and very much. And when to pivot, I would say. Well, and when to pivvet. Yeah. Sure. Yes, pivot. Aren't we supposed to say pivot? Or how to construct a board or how to engage a contract. You know, what the other thing I would say is people people are, are fond of saying entrepreneurs love risk. That's a ridiculous statement. <laughs> Good entrepreneurs hate risk and spend a lot of their time trying to figure out how to avoid it so that they keep the train on the tracks and they get to where they're going. There's another topic for the show this fall, Don. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Jeff Kimmel has sent a very interesting quote. Um, he says, this is, let me get where it's from. It's from G.I. Joe, a real American hero, Action Force in the UK, it's called. Animated cartoon TV series, 1983 to 86. 95 episodes, good for them. Created by Ron Friedman, based on the toy line from Hasbro. G.I. Joe, everybody knows, was an action figure who, to placate parents who were watching, ended each cartoon with a PSA about something dangerous the kids were probably going to do anyway, right, Jeff? And it, like running out in traffic, don't go out in traffic, kids, and giving their address to a stranger. And this was 1986, before all of this stuff. About, yeah, we know about all the, yeah, being more careful. So here's the quote that he said at the end of every lesson. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Jeff, talk to us. Yeah, so the, the one I remember is don't touch down the power lines, but um, the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, but the idea behind it in the, in the quote is more to the half the battle aspect of it. So it's the, you know, so for example, IoT, um, you know, self-driving cars say, you could have a self-driving car be able to detect a person in the crosswalk, right? And so it's like, now I know there's a person in the crosswalk. Well, that, that knowledge and information is useless if the car can't take that and apply the brakes to stop the vehicle. So the, the whole idea behind you know, the quote and, and everything is the, you know, we're talking about building IoT solutions, AI solutions. There needs to be value at the end of it. So it's, it's you know, nothing can be built in a sandbox um, and really just gets down to the idea of IoT, edge, AI, keeping it simple so that in the sense that you can act, um, deliver results and not just deliver a piece of knowledge. Thank you very much. Knowledge, smart, intelligent. We got a lot of words here. Thank you, Jeff. Let's go to Jason's quote. Jason, this is a cool one. Lloyd Christmas played by Jim Carrey. We got to get him in a movie here. To Mary played by the lovely Lauren Holly, who has had so many roles. The movie, of course, is Dumb and Dumber, 1994 American buddy comedy film. And the story of Lloyd Christmas and former dog groomer and breeder Harry Dunn, played by Jeff Daniels, dumb but well-meaning friends from Rhode Island. We'll leave it there. It's a very interesting scene. I'm going to let you describe it, Jason, but the quote you picked is, so you're telling me there's a chance? I think she's just told him there's no freaking way in hell I'm going to marry you. But go ahead, Jason. Let's get your interpretation yeah, on our topic. 
he's been chasing her as a love interest the whole movie and and um first off he's like what are the chances a guy like you and a girl like me get together <laughs> you know getting it backwards and, and she's like basically eventually you know 10 to 1 100 to 1 she's like more like a million to one and he's like so you're telling me there's a chance <laughs> I, I relate it. it i relate it back to um i mean just iot in general we, we've been talking about this for a while it was m to m you know initially and you know we talked a lot about it's the balance of privacy and value and you know, it's got to be technology for a reason and um a lot of projects have been stuck in what I call the POC friend zone for a long time. You know, you can't get past the, the friend zone of just a you know, party of few initial pilot. And, but I, I'm seeing that changing, you know, we're seeing evolution happening. We're starting to see the value. Um, and so that's where it comes. Uh, you're telling me there's a chance we're going to do this. Thank you very much. I'm putting your first um, putting your first prediction into the chat there. Everybody, if you check down at your chat, you will see I've sent a private message to each of you with where we're going to go with the prediction. So it's time for our predictions roundtable. And let me scroll up in my 5,000 pages of notes here and let's go to Eric Simone. I'm looking at prediction number three. This was interesting. You say the edge will enable non-nerds. Is everybody here a nerd? Because I'm a nerd or a former nerd. Is everybody here a nerd, you think? I'm a nerd. Yeah. You're a nerd? I'm a former I'm, nerd. Don, are you a nerd? Uh, sure. <laughs> sure, sure. You hang out with IoT people for fun. That's a yes. Well, yeah. what about, <laughs> Good what point. about, Good point. What about former coders? <laughs> Je Jeff, you don't former know me. Coder. I'm I'm considered an early woman in tech. I was coding on a Xerox Sigmatic CP5 in COBOL when I had to stand on a step stool to put a disk pack into the drive. And the disk pack was this big in my high heels. Yes, I did. We're this tall. And yes, and it was a lot of fun. And we were key punching our code. And I could write 2,000 lines of COBOL by hand over the weekend, have it running by Monday at 1 o'clock with only one syntax error if I was careless. So I, re I remember those days. So I, I'm still a nerd. I'm a nerd by definition. So let's Let's go to, uh, okay, so here is the edge will enable non-nerds to configure complex systems using the English language to control all of your devices seamlessly. So let's look at controlling all of your devices seamlessly. Eric, what's the prediction? Well, obviously we're not there yet, right? Because there's no, no such thing as voice control and seamless um, configuration of devices. We're barely scratching the surface with what we're doing today with Siri and Alexa and so forth. And a lot of that is using cloud computing, right? You're, you you say something and it goes and gets processed in the cloud, and then it typically orders you something that you didn't want to order or starts talking to you at 3 a.m. when you didn't mean to be talking to your Alexa, right? So so what we're gonna see, and, and my CTO said this to me many times whenever we're looking at features, he wants things to work like they work in Star Trek, right? Usually that's a good idea, right? If I'm speaking into my, my little badge in Star Trek, Things are happening and it's all just works, right? I believe that in the next 10 years, we're gonna to start to see this stuff work seamlessly where you've got stuff in your house, your appliances, your stove, your coffee maker, your refrigerator, your calendar. You're gonna be able to say, hey, you know, make coffee at this point. Uh, what time should I go get my son from, uh, from his band lesson? Um, you know, I'd like to have the, the, the chicken at 350 degrees, whatever it is. There needs to get to be to some ubiquity of ease of use where you don't need a programmer to go in and configure this device. I don't need to use ladder logic. I don't need to use some complex user interface. I can go and just say what I want to happen and it actually will work, right? I can get my, my, my Wi-Fi to work right. I can get my TV, all that stuff, right? Right now, 
I don't know what your experience is, but I get extremely frustrated and I have a degree in computer science and I can't configure any of my things to do the things that I want them to very easily, right? I have to ask my 16 year old to figure it out because I'm no longer good at being a nerd. I'm a, I'm a failed nerd. Oh, wait a minute. What happened to former? Now you're failed? Well, former failed. No one lets me code anymore. Come on. No one needs small talk or COBOL or some 4GL that runs on a mainframe anymore. They do, but not not in the stuff that I do. They're not here so. today. There we go. Anybody have a comment on what Eric said before I move on to Don's first prediction? Everybody good? Oh, you're all so polite today. Oh, my goodness. Nobody encroaching in here. Okay, Don Deloach, I'm looking at prediction number one. You say, we will continue to see more and more emphasis on solutions designed for specific applications like, and one of the hot topics everybody's talking about, two years ago, nobody knew what this was, supply chain management, right, Don? Everybody knows supply chain. I can't get my screen door, can't get the chip for my car, can't get whatever it is, or worker safety, and less and less focus on horizontal technology like databases or other developer tools. Let's focus on the supply chain and emphasis on the solutions that matter to our B2C audience. Don? Well, yeah, I didn't weigh in on Eric's because I was going next, but I am going to weigh on him now. Uh, weigh in on him now. <clears throat> what, what he said, I, I actually just want to double down behind him because if you think about the progression of technology, it go back to when cars were first introduced. If you had a car... You also had a chauffeur because cars were deemed too technologically demanding for the average person to drive. So that was just the way it was. And then we got to the point where, um, like when, when we were all starting and writing COBOL code or Fortran code or whatever, you know, if you were going to program the computer, you were writing code to do it. And then, you know, Visual Basic and, and Power Builder came out and fourth generation languages, and it made everybody a programmer per se. That is a natural progression of technology. And I think we're seeing that in spades with the illustration that Eric gave. The segue to that is, and this has been happening for some time, um, as, the, as the market evolves and as executives are trying to make decisions about where they go with this progression to a hyper-connected world, you're seeing more and more emphasis put on uh, acquisition of outcome capability versus just underlying technology. And I think that a lot of people who are getting into the market now are realizing that while there will always be a place for underlying technologies, the value that is being brought to the surface more and more is the combinatorial effects of taking these technologies and delivering them to enhance supply chain, to enhance worker safety, to enhance the way uh, my, my uh, oil refinery operates. And so um, you know, one of my biggest frustrations is when I'm advising a company and I say, well, why don't you, you know, take this and put an application veneer to help this become an autonomous building solution. What I guess, well, we don't, you know, we don't want to limit our, you know, our capabilities in the market. And that's, that's probably going against the trend. I think that you're seeing it and people like Gartner would, would reinforce that more and more of the buying power is going towards buying uh, against the expectation of certain business outcomes. And I think we're just going to see more and more of that. And I would also add, and then I'll shut up. I would say that even people who are bringing really nice solutions to the market eventually start to find grooves in certain key markets where they become a leader in rail or a leader in oil and gas or whatever. And, and as a result, you see more and more domain expertise added to those solutions as they go to the market. Thank you very much. Any comments? Yeah, I obviously completely agree with Don. Um, he sounds like 
the advice he was giving me five, six years ago as we were doing Clearblade, right? And and you evolve into a point where you're, you're talking less about the tech and more about the outcome of your tech and delivering it to non-technical people and delivering it to the business and, and, and them implementing what you have in a way that drives bottom line revenue, right? Makes yep. things and, easier. And we start to talk about outcome-based a couple of years ago, haven't we, Don? Everybody, it's not, you're not selling somebody a hammer. You're selling somebody the opportunity to hang that planter on the wall of their porch because the hammer put the nail in that's going to hang the planter and they will have a beautiful planter. So it's what is the point of what you're selling them or what you're, it's not just a tool or an implement, it's a means to an outcome or what we used to call an end. Thank you very much. Jeff, I'm looking at prediction number four here. This is going to be a relief to all of our listeners. You say people will experience fewer issues with downtime of appliances and equipment, such as vehicles, oh my, as the devices become self-correcting, oh my, to the second power, and able to notify of issues in advance. And I mentioned in my opening about predictive maintenance of industrial equipment. So Jeff, why don't you put us all at ease with what in the world this means for our everyday lives? How soon is it going to happen? Yeah, so I think that, that the last part is the key is I think we're still a ways away from this in terms of everything that I laid out. And again, it gets back to what everyone's saying of the, the misnomers of AI, IoT, et cetera. Um, but you, know, the, you mentioned at the beginning, a lot of people doing this on the factory floor and manufacturing. Um, our focus at Ellipsa is on solving unplanned downtime, but more so of like HVAC system pumps, remote assets, and you're beginning, you know, we talked about, you know, the farming, so like irrigation systems, et cetera. The idea is that eventually this will trickle down to consumer products uh, and it is already there, but like it'll continue as the edge becomes more prominent as computing power grows, et cetera. Um, but the thought is like, I, I think about, you know, my washer machine, if, you know, Recently, we were in the other room, it's beeping. I walk in, there's water all, all over the floor. That's the machine alerting me that it has failed. The idea is that, you know, in the future, as these machines are more connected, there's more sensors in them monitoring a, a plethora of different data points. You can analyze that in real time on the edge to say, to, to send an alert or whether it's a beep or email, what have you, that is indicating there's a, a future problem that to start would notify you of it so you could turn the washing machine off. But then the secondary piece is as the technology advances, I do believe that the system itself will be able to take that bit of information, feed that into another kind of piece of computing to self-adjust the machine, whether it's shutting it off automatically or perhaps uh, changing the, the water valve, what have you. Um, you know, vehicle, same thing. It's like right now we have the we change our oil every x thousand uh miles but it's like why why do we do that it's the obviously we need to change our oil but every car runs and operates differently so how is it five thousand miles for every vehicle regardless of where you drive it so the idea is that to be able to take the knowledge data of information of how you're driving the vehicle what the you know different aspects of the oil to tell you exactly when to change the oil and that will extend the life of these vehicles and and other equipment great point that's true Five thousand miles take your car in for service but 
My car goes exactly four miles a week to the grocery store on Thursdays because it's 5% discount day. <laughs> and I usually spend over $100 so I can get a free package of lilies because of my, yeah, don't even ask. No, lilies doubled from 4 to $10 with the, with the supply chain. Where even lilies are double in price. Thank you very much. That's very, very interesting. Um, I'm going to go to Jason's prediction number two. Let's see what he says. He says, we'll move past individual smart products and siloed ecosystems to entirely new experiences and services that mash up use cases from retail, energy, healthcare, insurance, transportation, and more. I want to know what the end more is, but Jason, what's this mashup? It sounds exciting. Go ahead. Well, I mean, yeah, so I mean, this is a ways out, but I'll start by saying, you know, as the guy said, like where these types of things begin is always, um, these solutions go vertical before they go horizontal. So you figure out like some value add and then people kind of coalesce around that and then you you start to do this mashup. Um, It's very similar to how, you know, look look at smartphones, you know, Apple comes out with with their closed ecosystem, you know, kind of develops the experience and then after a while people realize, hmm, maybe I want choice and then Android comes out and you open ecosystem and owns 90% of the market. I always joke about AOL stage of IoT. You know, we start with like AOL. Oh, I don't know how to get on the internet. I get a little disk in the mail. I sign up, and then all of a sudden, this funny word Google comes out, and I realize that you know I can just kind of go straight to the internet. You know, we see this over and over again in, in markets. Um, eight years ago, when I started IoT strategy at Dell with the CTO team there, I'm like, hey guys, we're not doing consumer because Amazon's going to win round one. This is way before Alexa, and. Why? Because if you give someone value and they're willing to give up some privacy, they'll, they'll adopt it. And you have to sort of curate that initial ecosystem and make it easy to use. Um, Alexa, you know, obviously has a huge ecosystem around it because Amazon's got a relationship with people, you know, up, up front. You know, we've, we've, a lot of folks are, are using you know, Amazon and whatnot. Um, and voice, you know, there are still challenges, as Eric outlined, but at the same time, why did it take off? Because it's a lot easier to say, turn on the lights, than it is to go through 16 pages of apps to figure out the app to turn on the light. Actually, I think it's a lot easier just to get up and turn on the light. But that's <laughs> um, anyway, so that's where things start. They start with these closed ecosystems. But what we're, what we're going to see, well, actually, first off, who hits the home before Amazon? It's your telco. It's, it's the internet. Um, it's whoever sells you the internet and whatnot. Um, we will see by focusing on outcomes and open infrastructure over time. I mean, look at the internet, how it developed initially. It was kind of these closed things and they figure out interop and we're in that stage where you have service providers that are not just like an Amazon that are able to cross over into the home because you've got this open infrastructure. Imagine a world where I've got a server, you know, smart server in my house and other retailers other than Amazon can drop in solutions that enable me to buy stuff on the fly or you know, have that experience. We're going to see snapshot for the house where if you're home, um, you're less likely to get broken into or your house you know, burned down, uh, sensors around the water leak for the, the washing machine you know, that, that he mentioned, you know, actually giving me discounts on insurance. Now it's like, hmm, do I want sensors everywhere? Am I getting value for it? I don't know. But if I get a discount on my insurance, well, sure, I'll give up a little privacy for that. Uh, and then you flip it. So imagine smart homes that, you know, utilities giving me energy discounts, things like that, or, or whatever. Flip it to more of an alt- altruistic sense. If you've got this interconnected world with sensors and whatnot, not only could it give value to individual consumers, but also... Say there's a wildfire tearing through a certain you know, region. Mm-hmm. 
all that sensing can flip the other way and start to you know, you know show hey here's the heat profile this is what's happening throughout this environment you know, alert EMS all this kind of stuff that's you know it's really interesting stuff but you you've got to get past the 500 IoT platforms you know and all that this, this non valuable stuff you have to get to a common foundation more interoperability and then focus on the mashup between all these different things and you know, those outcomes. I mean, there's just endless possibility for new business, new cases, use cases for consumers. It's just, it, it, it's got to have an open base. Thank you. Very interesting. Eric, you want to comment? Yeah, well, I completely agree with Jason. Um, we need to be able to deliver software that interacts and stop building at such a low level and then allow these best of breed solutions per vertical to start to interact with one another and um, and share that data so we share in the convenience, right? We 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 benefit uh, as a society by technology that works, as opposed to building solutions that that are like paper mache. They fall apart the second there's some stress put on them. I'm laughing because I recently insisted for my new stove that has this fabulous air fryer basket, and I'm not even using the oven or the convection. Had to have a convection oven. This huge basket. I put parchment paper down. I cooked salmon in 14 minutes and chicken. I did ribs, a rack of ribs in 20 minutes on each side instead of five hours. Anyway, the point is it was smart. I had to have a smart stove. What does a smart stove mean? Jason. You know how long it took me to connect it to the Wi-Fi in the house yeah. on this little tiny console? <laughs> Do you know what it does for me? Are you ready? When I'm watching TV, if I'm cooking dinner, and it's, it's one great big room, you know, you know how houses are open plan now. Well, it says on TV, cooking is almost finished. That's I'm, I'm 12 Wonderful. feet away from the stove. <laughs> And when it goes off and it's done, it goes do 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 do. I hear it. I'm sitting and the couch is here, the kitchen is here, and I have to now click stop or off on my TV <laughs> to stop the start. So I paid probably an extra five hundred dollars for the smart. I had to have a smart stove. I thought it was going to do. I thought it was going to cook it for me. I thought it was going to put the sauce on the ribs. Right. No. And by the way, I'm going to drop one more tech thing on all of you before we go to our next round. PL one. Oh, wow. I was coding PL1 on an IBM 4341, and we finally had a monitor to enter a dumb terminal to enter the code so we weren't key punching anymore. Those were the wow. days. My fr- I know, I know. I using an IMS back. hierarchical database as well? Oh, <laughs> my God. Yes, I know. We learned everything. So, yes, wow. I, I was there in the trenches in my high heels with my slit skirt. Never mind. Nice. It's just, yeah, those were the days. Let's I mean, see. I, we can, go ahead. Sorry, Bonnie. Yeah, I was just going to add to your comment i don't i think a lot of people are trying too hard with smart products they're trying to get in the game they haven't really cracked the code um one of the big challenges you know i mentioned like if, if i have a direct outcome that saves me you know t- like the you know, t- tell someone to turn up or alexis to turn off the lights or give me money back you know i'm more gonna be more motivated yeah. but one of the big challenges is false positives you know, I think I'm so smart and I'm going to do something for you. And then after a while, it keeps getting it wrong because people are inherently you know, unpredictable, generally speaking. Um, I'm just going to turn it off. Oh, and yep. don't get me started on just trying to set it up. So that's yes. another. <laughs> and then three months later, nothing works the right way anyway. So you give up and you you, you burn four calories getting up and flipping the switch. Yeah. We well, need AI that sets up your stuff. Well, I'll tell you, the fan inside the oven part of the stove was faulty, and I realized every time I finished cooking, there was a banging noise coming out of the stove in the oven. You could hear all over the house, so I had to get my smartphone 
out and put it on the voice memo recording and stand there and record the noise and email it to the salesperson <laughs> and tell her I needed a service appointment. And she had to email the company, big company starts with S, to send me a repair person who had to text me that he was on the way. And I had to ask him if he had a mask because that was back in those days. And he came in and he put a new motor in the back of the stove, which required pulling the stove out and he didn't push it back in all the way so that the divider I had on the back fell down, don't even ask. And and it still makes a little noise, but I'm too tired of this cycle so that I'm not gonna ask them to come and replace the motor again, the yep. fan motor. It just but I do have a smart stove. I really, really Really You'd do. rather have a quiet motor, but you have a yeah. smart stove. I would. I would. And I would never buy a smart stove again if that's all it does. Let's see if we yeah. can quickly. We got six minutes left. I'm going to do right. one prediction for each of you. 60 seconds. Let's cycle through. Lightning. Eric, the cost of ease of use and flexibility of our things will be our privacy. It's over. Eric, this sounds terrible, but take well, six, 60 seconds. Go ahead. 60 seconds. Uh, it's been over for years, right? We've been sharing data for convenience, for uh, discounts, like Jason smartly said. Um, and I'm not going to paint all doom and gloom. I think we're going to continue to give up privacy for convenience, for, 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 for financial reasons. But with edge computing, I think we're going to have better control over those things. We can keep things local. We can keep our data local. We can decide how much we share easier as opposed to just streaming all this data to the cloud to get this convenience. So in a way, look, you know, privacy is over, but you know, just like you do with your bank accounts, watch your stuff, have alerts, uh, bank with trusted uh, people. So I think it's not all doom and gloom, but just be comfortable with the fact that your data is going to be shared. And don't look at the market too often. I made the mistake of looking at my account the other day, texted my broker. I said, what? That was my down payment on a new house later this year. Oh my God. Leave it alone. Okay. So at least we have the knowledge. Uh, Don, let's go to prediction number four really fast here. And you say an increasing number of technologies and associated startups, and this is what you do, will address underserved populations, sustainability, and social challenges, and will be largely underwritten by the growing number of impact-focused investors. I hate to only give you 60 seconds, Don, but that's what we've got. Go ahead. Don, you're muted, dear. Unmute. We want to get that brilliance. <laughs> yep. Okay, so if you think of things like drones and smart lighting, it's where the technology is going is to distributed decentralized systems. And that can be deployed in a way that can help underserved populations, whether it's public safety or food production, mental health and telehealth, transportation access, education, um, energy, um, interesting things like um, incarcerated uh, individuals re-entering society. There's all kinds of cool things coming out that are helping with that. And then there's the less obvious stuff, things like the whole notion of there's truth in the data. So let's just say there's two partners in an underserved population that want to start a, a small manufacturing um, company. And they've got a couple of milling machines or whatever. Well, if if they're if under normal circumstances they're going to have a higher debt rate and they may not be able to be insured, as opposed to the big you know brand name company that's setting up a factory. But if through the instrumentation of that data they can prove that the way they operate and the and the actual data from it um, uh, suggests that they're a good bet, then maybe the eight percent goes to four percent, and maybe the no goes to a yes, and all of this lends itself to. I think kind of a better world. 
Thank you very much. And that's what we're looking forward to is a better world. Jeff Kimmel, I sent you a prediction I wanted, but I'm changing it. So I'm going to read number three. I'd rather that when you say the quality of consumer electronics and devices will increase as AI improves the manufacturing and delivery process. One minute. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, so I guess with um, with everything we're talking about, most people think of like the, the direct value. We're talking about the direct value of all of these different use cases. But I think one of the key factors that or that it is not talked about is the indirect value that's that's going to be gained from edge computing, IoT, AI, et cetera. So on the manufacturer floor, we already talked about, you know, monitoring the system so they don't go down. But AI, say using computer vision for defect detection or analyzing products as they're about to go out to ensure that they are uh, higher quality or even just improving and optimizing the process to create products that end up having a greater quality that you, it, it doesn't have to say like, a, you know, this was built with AI or built with edge computing, but you're getting an indirect value from downstream, which is most technologies end up leading towards indirect values. You know, so that's, that's where I see things going from, uh, from that standpoint. Thank you. And that's good news. And last prediction number four, Jason Shepard, the digital divide between the haves and the have-nots will continue to grow, triggering action through a mix of corporate responsibility and top-down regulation. I hope there's some good news in there, but I'm not so sure. Jason, go ahead. Give us a happy end note, and then we're going to close. Oh, man, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's just about awareness. I mean, yeah, I don't want to also be doom and gloom, but and, and it really, so this is beyond privacy. Privacy is, you know, if I get value, I'll give up privacy. I mean, how many people like years ago was like, oh, it's crazy. Leave location-based services on my phone. Most people do now because they get some sort of value you know, out of the recommendations. But, uh, and also as Don said, you know, in emerging markets, you, know, you see a lot of people where they're doing smart investments because they didn't have the uh, institutional inertia or the legacy inertia that you know, like you know, we have here in the States or other Western you know, countries. Um, but COVID, huge winner of COVID was digital. Anyone that was able to go digital um, didn't have to be physically present. Of course, IoT helps to do remote monitoring of, of the physical world, so that, there's benefits there. But um, that really accelerated this notion of the digital divide. And scary stuff is the people that can afford digital. I mean, eventually people are going to be augmenting themselves with technology. It's going to create you know, class warfare if, if we don't get serious about it. And so that's where I think there's a, a component where it's kind of grassroots from 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 people. But I really think that the, there's going to have to be regulation that spins up, um, you know, long term to be able to govern this. Of course, there's the whole topic of ethical AI, which we talked about you know, last time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think people need to just be aware of where are the benefits and, you know, kind of where um, there are some risks and what do we need to do about it long term? And it's going to take a concerted effort. Thank you. That wasn't doom and gloom. That was just a reality check, and that was good. Thank you very much. I want to thank my engineer, Gabe, new to recently new to Voice America. Thank you, Gabe. Eric Simone, always wonderful to see you. Don DeLoach, what a pleasure and privilege to have you. Jeff Kimmel, our newcomer, you were great. Thank you so much, Jason Shepard, always. And say hello to your Zadita marketing people. I had a little tussle with them this week. <laughs> and I want all of you to please, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to say no, no, no together with me. Got 30 seconds to go. So if somebody tells you, you. The future is already here. One, two, three. We're going to say no, no, no. Oh, no. no. Nope. Don and Jeff, you didn't put your finger up. Come on, no. wave the finger. No. The future is already here. We're going to say no no, 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 no. And the reason is that that was yesterday's future. Today's future didn't happen yet.
after I said the word yet, that was the future, and now it's gone already. We're all here to try and make it a better one with tech, without tech, with nerds, without nerds. I appreciate the four of you. Thank you for bringing this to the level of all of my listeners around the world. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave goodbye. Don't go away, guys. We're going to talk for a second. Bye, voice. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.